morning, everybody. We doing all right this morning? We wide awake and alert? All right, beautiful. It's great to be here in God's house. How amazing was that baptism service in between services? How many people caught that? Incredible to see people stepping out young and older saying, this is what I've decided to do with my life. Incredible. Well, I'm so honored to be here with you again here this week. As you know, we're in this series called White Picket Fences, and we're smashing the myths of perfection. And this morning, we're talking about the fact that there are no such thing as perfect kids. Amen to that. How many parents want to say amen to that? How many kids want to say amen to that? Quit thinking that I'm perfect, right? Some of you are like, I am perfect. Thank you very much. Right, And I thought it was a little curious that I was on the docket this week to speak. You can imagine the elders and Brian like, hmm, who should we have speak about there's no such thing as perfect kids? Hmm, who's the example we can think of whose kids are the epitome of imperfection? Jerry, why don't you speak this week? Right? No, I'm just, I'm just joking, of course. It is great to be here, though, and I'm excited for what God has for us. When we talk about imperfection in the world of children... We are not alone, right? There are all kinds of all throughout the course of history imperfection that you see. But I just want to take a moment here this morning and we just want to enjoy the idea of childhood. Okay, you recognize that God could have done whatever he wanted in procreation and could have just said, okay, here's an adult immediately. But instead he decided in this long 18 year plus process with all kinds of changes and growth and different stages of life, right? Starting from infancy, and that can be a lot of fun. Check this picture out. I thought this was pretty cute. Talk about infants, all right? There on the left, you've got these fools put my cape on backwards. If there ever looks to be a perfect baby, that looks like one, right? And we all know, those of you that have infants, the only time, essentially, that they are perfect is that scene right there, right? Just kidding. But uh, how about this one on the right? That awkward moment when your mom smells your butt in front of your friends. All right? Yeah, babies, you know, we, we put them through a lot, right? But as they're growing up, we continue to see some unique dynamics. I thought this was funny. Anybody have a house where there's maybe just a little bit of conflict between siblings? Well, this is a pretty ingenious idea. Uh, in a couple of weeks, Brian's going to be talking about, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. Maybe if we had a marriage shirt like that for husbands and wives, like, all right, honey, come on. Let's talk this through. <laughs> I could sell. I could, I could make millions. But, um, but yeah, anybody, uh, anybody, parents, you have trouble with your kids keeping a clean room? Anyone like that here? Raise your hand up super high. Wow, none of you. You guys are amazing. I really want to meet with you because we have a big problem with that in, uh, in, our, in our house. And we'll get to that one in a second. <laughs> this one says, uh, want today's Wi-Fi password? Make your beds, vacuum downstairs, and walk the dog. That's a good way to get your kids motivated, right? You see them all the time on their little devices. I thought this one was interesting as well, talking about keeping a clean room. Check this out. My dearest Emily, I came by tonight to retrieve your tooth and to leave your payment. However, because of the condition of your bedroom, I had a horrible time getting to your bed safely. Once there, I was unable to locate the tooth pillow due to the amount of pillows, blankets, and bodies in your bed. I will have to come by on a different night. Perhaps you can take the time between now and then to properly clean and organize your room. I bet if you ask your mother nicely, she will even help you to do it. Much love, the tooth fairy. Now, come on. 
If there's ever motivation for a little one to clean their room, that's ingenious. And then, of course, the kids start to get a little bit older, right? Getting to middle school and high school. Maybe there's some conflict. This dad had a unique approach to making sure that his daughter wouldn't date uh, anybody without his permission. And she looks absolutely thrilled at that. Uh... Oh, but we are here to talk about the fact that there's no such thing as perfect kids. This next picture is a picture. When we talk about white picket fences, I want to share with you from my own story. Talk about an imperfect family. This is one. And this is not from creepyfamilyphotos.com. This is my family. Okay, this is my family. Like, this is acceptable, okay? So uh, there you got my mom and dad. Um, it's a unique job with the mustache there. That's a little off, but that's okay. It was the 80s, you know. It was a, it was a unique period of time. But, uh, but there's my mom and dad, and he was a pastor for 38 um, years in the same place, still is to this day. They were just here with us a couple weeks ago visiting and, and getting to meet some of you guys. But these are our four kids that were a part of that imperfect family. And uh, that's my sister Julie behind, that's my sister Joanne, she lives in Raleigh. And over here on the bottom right, that's my sister Jan. She's actually getting married next week in New Jersey. I'm traveling back up to do the wedding. But that handsome man on the upper right is a 12-year-old version of yours truly. And I wanted to show that to you because when we talk about white picket fences, I want to share with you that I grew up in a pastor's home. Now, thankfully, anymore in this church and many other churches, there's not quite the expectation and pressure in singling out that there used to be. But let me tell you, in my home and in my church, we were all looked at as kids as we needed to be perfect. Because after all, your dad's the pastor, so you should know that verse. You shouldn't be talking in class. You should be on time. You know, all those different expectations piled upon us. And if I could bring you back to this situation, it would be looking into the eyes of a young man as 12-year-old, probably 8th grade maybe, 7th, 8th grade, somewhere around there, who was really trying on the external to be a good kid and to please my parents, but deep inside I was wrestling with what it meant to believe in God, to live for God. I went to a public school and I had friends in the neighborhood who would constantly be trying to lure me away and do things that I knew my parents would not approve of and that God wouldn't approve of. But internally there was turmoil because I was trying to have the exterior of perfection when behind that white picket fence there was a totally different story. So what we're talking about this morning is the idea for kids that there is no such thing as perfection and how do we deal with that how do we wrestle with that there can be so many uncertainties in a kid's world but for you parents here and for you students as well I wanted to share with you a little visual here that will help us because they're in the midst of all the uncertainties there is one certainty and that's that time is ticking away have you come to that realization? Can I get an amen to that, parents? Time is ticking away. It is fleeting. And right here, I've got a giant jar of marbles. 936 marbles. And what I want this to represent for us here this morning is each one of these marbles represents a week of our lives from zero all the way to the age of 18. 
around about there when you graduate high school and parents, you know, official responsibility uh, as far as the, the grade school and that sort of thing is done. And some of you might be like, well, I've got a 47-year-old that still lives in our family. How many marbles is that? That's a whole nother message for a whole nother time. <laughs> we won't touch that or tackle that in their circumstances. We, we understand all of that. But as far as your child being with you in school up into 18 years of age, 936 marbles. And I just want you to think about that for a second. I want you to br- go back there, parents, to that moment in, in, in the hospital when you're holding that child and a couple days later and going home and you're there finally and settled in and a week has passed by, that's this right here. And I want you to think about maybe, you know, kind of that universal moment, I guess, in America when that one year old uh, birthday party, when they bring out that cake or that ice cream and it just kind of seems to be the given thing to do to like take that and wipe it all over your face as a one year old, right? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, I did that at my 35th birthday party. Okay, well, that's, that's fine. But one year, think about that and think about 52 marbles taken out of this jar. I said 52 marbles taken out of this jar. <laughs> Apparently Siri was very interested in that last comment. <laughs> But the bottom line is the the certainty is that time is fleeting. And it's all the more reason why we need to dedicate this particular message to kids, to children. And parents, of course, have a huge stake in that as well. But I've kind of crafted the message in three different pieces. And the first one that I want to talk about is what is society saying to kids? What is our society saying to kids? Do you believe that kids have a rough time? and a rough go at life nowadays, do you think there's a lot of pressure on them? You know, I've been tempted sometimes to be like, pressure, what pressure? Look at this nice house we give you. Look at all these electronics. Look at this life that you live. You live in the greatest nation in the world and you live in the greatest time frame that ever existed. You should be having a great life. But the reality is if you were to sit down with each one of these kids and really talk to them about the pressures that they feel, at school, with friends, at home. It's, it's a vastly different tale than the carefree lives that many of us grew up with. A couple of things I wrote down. What is society saying to kids? Number one, you're an inconvenience. You especially see that throughout the course of history, right? Where most of the times kids were seen as, you know, another mouth to feed, another obligation Or the reason that they had large families was because I need more workers out in the farm. Amen? So many parents are like, yeah, that's right. But you exist to work and you better produce. You better work and produce more than what I'm giving you. You better earn your keep. Kids as an inconvenience. Number two, society is saying to kids, you better measure up. Have you felt the weight of that when you're talking with other parents, just in casual conversations and you're talking about grade point average and you're talking about the ranking that they are in their school? And the fact that in our school systems, you've got an entire ranking system so kids know like, well, I'm number two in my class or I'm number 86 or I'm 472nd. 
Is that a commentary on how we do that? I'm not saying that, but what I am saying is there's this unspoken and oftentimes spoken expectation for kids that says you better measure up, you better be smart enough, you better be athletic enough, you better produce enough and be involved enough and be ready enough to compare to other people. And I'll tell you what, in the middle school and especially in the high school world, this whole issue of popularity and measuring up and who likes me and am I liked and am I loved and am I valued and what do I put my value in is so intricate, it's unbelievable. And your average high school kid could tell you, I could line up my whole entire class of 200 or 400 or 600 people against the wall, almost perfectly lined up according to popularity, least to the most popular. That's how, that's how intricate that system is. And when you talk about the pressures that kids have to fit in, there's this new phenomenon, this new anxiety that is swept across uh, the, the nation and it's, uh, and, and it's known as F-O-M-O. Do you know what that stands for? Fear of missing out. And it's an anxiety and it's a depression and it's an, an anxiousness and like, well, what's going on? Or what are my friends doing? I'm looking on Instagram. I see that they're hanging out together. Why'd they not invite me? Or I see that that person is going over there with those people and I'm missing out on something and I, might, I must not be valuable because they didn't bring me along or not as many people liked my picture as like their picture. And it's just a fear of missing out. You're not enough, society's saying. You better measure up. And anymore, it's not enough to get straight A's. You need to take AP classes while you're still there in high school. You need to get a GPA that's weighted above all these other things. And, and, and I'm not saying that any of that stuff's bad. We should be doing well. But what I'm saying is when the value is placed based on these production elements, that's a problem and that's a whole lot of pressure. What else is society saying? You better make us, that is the parents, look good. You ever experience that? Your kids are a reflection of you. They do something and, and, and if it makes you look bad because you didn't do that, that all of a sudden you take that personally. You've been on a soccer field or some athletic event and you're along the sidelines and you see this dynamic among parents and they're getting mad at their kids out there who are trying their best and they make some mistake or they let a ball go in the goal or whatever it is and they're yelling at them. One time I even saw it, my son Caden play soccer and the one dad just kind of apologized to all the other parents. I'm so sorry about that. I'm so, man, I just don't know why he does that. I'm so sorry, guys. Like it's his fault. The pressure that kids sometimes feel because the parents say, hey, the way you act, what you do, that's a reflection on me. That's huge. And we know that it's no surprise that a lot of parents are even making their kids the idol. Is there some idolatry going on in America for your kids? And your affections, your, your allegiance and your resources and your time are so spent on elevating them and all the things that they're involved in and focusing on their things that you lose out on really having God be the center of things. And now it's the kid. Well, that's a phenomenon that's been taking place the last 20, 30 years in college. Professors see it, parents coming in, calling the professor about their kid who's in college now and, you know, helicopter parents and all that, right? It's real and it's pressure on these guys. How about this last one? You don't have value until you're an adult. That can be something that society says to kids. Oh yeah, no, we want you to do good in school. We want you to take violin lessons. We want you to do all this stuff so that somewhere down the line you can be a productive member of society. 
But right now, eh, not so much. Spend your time preparing for what's going to happen way over there. You don't have value until you're an adult. And that's where we land with the text for this morning. It's a narrative text. So with any of this, we need to go back to the life of Jesus. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19, and we're just going to be in verse 13 and 14. That's the text for today. Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 and 14. Because we have to look at the life of Jesus and ask ourselves, not just what did he say, because a lot of us are pretty well versed in that, but we need to take a look at what did he do. And here we've got an unbelievable interaction with Jesus and the disciples and parents that is going to shed a lot of light for us here this morning as far as not being any such thing as perfect kids. Let's start chapter 19, verse 13. Then the children were brought to him, that is, to Jesus, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked the people. Now let's just paint this picture, because we've got to do a little bit of work on this passage as far as context to get where we want to be. But here's the scene, Jesus teaching like he always did, big crowds around like he typically had. And the disciples are there, got a front row seat to hearing his teaching. And you've got this situation arising where there's some parents that are gathering and they've got their kids with them. They're babies, they're three-year-olds, they're six-year-olds, they're 10-year-olds. They're coming with their families and they're like, yeah, this speaking's great, but can we get up close to the master? I got a request. I want him to pray for, I want him to bless my children, my family. Now, what's really interesting in this historical context is this, this was something that was not completely uncommon in, uh, in that time in the Jewish world. A lot of times, uh, they would bring their children to the temple, and the elders of the temple or the priests would come and say a blessing over their kids. It's a very common thing in the Old Testament. You see it in Noah. You see it in Abraham. You see it in all the patriarchs where they gather their sons, and they pray a blessing over them. But what's so interesting about this blessing, it was almost a mantra that was recited. It wasn't just a freelance prayer. It was a mantra, and it was three basic things that these priests would pray. Number one is that they would make the law famous, that they would live the kind of lives when they grow up where they would know a lot of scripture and that they would make it famous. Number two, that they would be faithful in marriage. That's a great thing to pray for your kids. And then number three, that they would be abundant in good works of the law. So not just knowledge of scripture when they get out there and can recite it, not just being good in marriage, but that they would follow after the law, things like tithing, things like giving money to the poor, all those external lists of things that we see in scripture, all the prayers, all the feasts to be faithful to the temple, all that stuff. But you know what's in common about those three things? They all happen way in the future. Again, in that society, kids did not have any spiritual value. They had no place in the temple or in the kingdom except for to be behind the scenes and to be tolerated. And what we see here, even in the prayer, even the ones that love God, it's like, um, I'm going to pray that way off, way, way yonder, way when you grow up, you can do some great things for God. That's how society treated young people. That's what society says to them. Point number two. So what is God saying to imperfect kids? We got what society says, even the religious society, unfortunately. Number two, what does God say to imperfect kids? 
Let's keep on reading in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 19. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. God is saying, I want you. I made you. Please come to me. I want a relationship with you. Now to break this down a little bit more, we need to go back to a passage in Psalm 139 to really understand what kind of God this is and how he views each one of these individual children. Psalm 139, here's what David says. For you, God, you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I want you to pay real close attention to all the verbs that you see in here, okay? A little bit of an English lesson here this morning. You formed me, you knit me together. I praise you, God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. For my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance and in your book they were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. So what kind of God are we talking about here who forms and weaves and fashions and crafts intricately? It's a God that knows and a God that loves and a God that embraces his creation. And so when you think about that, this context, this story takes on a whole different realm because the disciples were angry, it says. The disciples rebuked all these parents. That's a harsh word. Okay, I want everybody to say really loud, shut your mouth, say it. That's rebuking means shut up. I don't say that in our house, but guess what? There's times for harshness. That same word rebuked is what Jesus said when he was casting out a demon. Shut up, stop talking, get out of her. Same word. So you can imagine these disciples as these parents were coming and wanting and they're like, nope, stop, shut it, stop. The master wants nothing to do with you. Get these annoying kids out of here. They're loud, they're obnoxious, they're distracting, they don't understand. And yet it says Jesus was indignant with them. It's one of those moments where Jesus was furious with his disciples. And I just love this phrase, the way it's crafted here, where he says, do not hinder them any longer. Let the children come to me. And again, when you lay Psalm 139 right over this passage, you can tell Jesus, who was the author of creation, Scripture says in Colossians chapter 1, he was intricately involved in, in the whole creative process. He sees these kids coming. He's like, yep, I know you're annoying, and I know you need to, you know, clean out your nose, because I'm seeing it coming down, but come to me. I made you, and I love you. And I know that, that you're loud and that you don't obey and your parents are having a whale of a time with you, but come to me because I love you. And I know that you're imperfect and I know that you've got, you've got a limp and I know maybe the society would say that you weren't made the way you should have been made and maybe you don't think that you measure up, but come to me because I love you and I want to embrace you. That's what the God of the universe is saying to imperfect kids here this morning. But the God of the universe is also saying at the tail end of that passage, which I love so much, verse 14, 
says, do not hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. You want to talk about an illustration of grace? You want to talk about an illustration of Jesus saying, nope, you know the ones that are going to be ruling in the kingdom of heaven? They're not necessarily the ones that know everything or are mature or experienced or anything else. He says, nope, these little ones, these little ones that don't have a whole lot of value in society, they can't really plow a field really well. They're not the smartest ones around, but it's because of that that I want them around me because they don't have a whole lot to offer as far as the world would measure. Talk about a picture of grace. That's what Jesus is saying with this statement. Such is the kingdom of heaven. And that's a great picture for all of us as the kind of God that we serve here this morning. God as our father and it's not us coming to him saying, look at how talented I am. Look at how much knowledge I have. Look at all I can do with my hands. The whole picture of grace is like, nope, you don't have a whole lot to offer but I'm going to embrace you anyway. Jesus is saying, this is the kingdom of heaven right now. Such is the kingdom of heaven right now. And I love the whole swath of scriptures as it talks about young people. First Timothy chapter four, verse 12. Paul says, do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. But instead, be an example to everybody else that's so mature and that's so wise. Be an example to them in faith, in life, in love, in purity. I love it that God decided to use Josiah as an eight-year-old to be the king of Israel. Anybody here have an eight-year-old? Amen, I do. Do you want them in charge of anything? But God said, nope, Josiah, he's the one that I've set aside. He's the one that I have given this authority to. I want to invest and put him up in this position of influence as an eight-year-old. When he was 16 years old, he started to do reforms and cut down idols. And even as a teenager, he was leading a country. And it says in scripture about Josiah, never before and never again was there a king like Josiah. And we could go on forever and ever and ever and ever. We can talk about David and Goliath. We can talk about the young boy that Jesus used with, with the loaves and the fish. We can talk about Mary and Joseph that were teenagers. We could talk about 11 of the 12 disciples, which were most likely in their teenage years. We could go on and on and on and on about how God values right now where you are, even in your imperfection. Amen? It's not a performance-based love, and I am so thankful for that. So we know what society says. We know what God is saying and what God has said. So my question for you this morning is, what are you going to say to your imperfect kids? Right now in their lives, there's a huge gap, a huge void. They are looking, desperately looking to all different channels and all different, listening to all different voices about why am I valuable? Why am I here? Who am I? There's a huge vacuum. And let me tell you something right now. Their friends are gonna be real quick to be pouring into that. The advertising world, they're gonna jump all over that and they have been for 50 years. Do you realize that the market to elementary age and middle school and high school age is what essentially drives so much of the marketing economy? 
because they want to pour in the values that they want your kids to have. So my question this morning is, what are you saying? The book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, says this, let no unwholesome or corrupting or corrosive speech come out of your mouth but only that which is good for building up. Boys, parents, how much of what comes out of our mouth is corrupting and corrosive and damaging? How much of what we throw down to them is identity giving and life giving and truth breathing and building up? And I'm saying to you, this to you right now, somebody who's just speaking right into a mirror because this is every bit where I am, right where you are. That's got to change. There's a huge vacuum and a huge void. And this really became clear to me as I started to think through how quickly things were progressing in my kids' lives and the fact that time was ticking away and it was getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter the amount of time that I would have back with them. And I was convicted of this a few years back and I just decided as a father I wanted to be the one breathing life and breathing truth into my kids. Not filling them with empty self-esteem. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about scriptural truths. Because I know that they're imperfect, but they need to be filled by a perfect God. And so I came across a picture, and I wanted to share this, this story with you because, because it's vital that we understand how much we need to be pouring into our kids. This is a picture of my daughter, Autumn, about 10 years ago. And she's here with me this morning. But this is my daughter, Autumn, and I was standing on the shores of the North Carolina beach just a couple hours from here. And this was a Christmas vacation. And like we took that picture and I just thought that that was such a great telling picture because you can see me and I am stalwart looking out at the future with courage and bravery in the midst of all the raging ocean around me. And you can see Autumn and she's just kind of gripping and holding reality, probably half falling asleep as a two-year-old, you know. But I saw that picture. I'm like, man, I love that picture. But one thing that is significant about this picture is that moment was December 26, 27, 2004. And if you can bring yourself back there, you'll remember that it was right around Christmas on the other side of the world that there was that massive tsunami. And tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people died. And I'm standing there in the ocean after watching all the footage and I'm holding my daughter and I'm looking out at the horizon knowing that thousands of miles across in that very same ocean there are people that are dying, there's chaos, there's just, there's death and destruction everywhere and I can remember just holding my daughter and some of you parents can feel that when you look at the future and you think, of, think about where our world's going and I'm just like, God, I want to be strong, I'm fearful for my child but she's yours. She's yours. And I can remember praying that and looking and praying for the people over there and thinking about my family and saying, Jesus, come soon. But while you delay, while you tarry, God, help me to pour in to what you've given me as a treasure. 
In scripture, kids are not looked at as an inconvenience. They're not looked at as, a, as an idol. They're not looked at as anything. Scripture talks about kids being a treasure. Kids being, uh, you know, it's, it's an honor to have a large family. And they're always looked at as a gift from God. And I'll tell you what. As we start to think about how quickly these times are fleeting, it's imperative that we pour out truth upon them. And so that's why I just brought this into Photoshop and I'm like, God, I want to give her some words of affirmation that are scriptural truths. And I said, Autumn, I, I promise to always protect you, to never tell your secrets, to cherish you as God's gift, to love you for who you are, not what you do. To never forget your birthday, to pursue your heart, to defend the ideals of true beauty, to always kiss you goodnight, and to remind you that only God can complete you. And I'll tell you what, when we get to the point where we're recognizing that this time is quickly fleeting, we're going to see some things happen in our lives in the way we deal with our imperfect kids. Because Psalm 139 talks about how all of those days are already written in God's book. And the thing is, if we as parents are not careful, we're just going to let those days fly right on by. And here I've got 416 marbles in this jar. You know what that means? You got an eight-year-old in your family like I do? These are all the weeks that are left. This is when they were born. And this is all you've got left. And I know I don't need to tell you if you've got a senior in high school, if you've got a 17-year-old, this is what you're looking at right here. Probably even less than that. And I'll tell you what, in our world, as we think about our kids and as we get frustrated with all their imperfections, with all the times they let us down, with all the expectations we have on them, perhaps that aren't warranted. I mean, it was even Paul that said, when I was a child, I thought like a child. I acted like a child. I reasoned like a child. So maybe for a six-year-old or an eight-year-old or a 12-year-old, we need to have a little grace here this morning, amen? And say, you know what? They think like an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old. And just recognize that if we're not careful, these inconveniences are soon going to be gone. So next time you get frustrated about that dirty dish that was left there again, that spirit cereal that was spilled, or those shoes that were left with mud on them again after you've told them how many times, just keep in mind there's a time coming when there's not going to be dirty dishes. And there's not going to be muddy shoes there anymore. And when you lean down to tie their shoe again, can't you figure this thing out by now? You're old enough. There's a time coming when they're going to be able to tie their own shoes and you're going to miss out on that. What I want to say to you this morning is that we need to pray for the grace that God showed to us that we can maximize our time with our kids, even in their perfection. Maybe for you this morning, you need to go back to what Brian talked about last week. When you talked about forgiveness, anytime you start talking about family and about kids and about parents, there's, there's so many wounds that are open wide at that moment. There's so much deep stuff and deep and deep and heavy burdens that are going on right there. Maybe, maybe for some here this morning, it's an element that says, man, I've been a terrible parent. You know what? 
no better time to start than right now, amen? God brought you here this morning for a reason to hear this and to see this passage of Jesus and what he said, come to me, I'm gonna embrace you. I'm gonna love you unconditionally. Maybe God wants to throw that moment down on you this morning. And maybe you need to apologize to your kids and be humble and say, will you forgive me? Will you pray for me? Maybe for some of you, maybe for some of you guys, for some of you kids, there's the Spirit of God's working in your heart as well. I don't need to lay it all out for you. He's the Spirit of God. He's going to do the work on you. But I just hope and pray as I was wrestling through this message this week and thinking about Jesus and what he did and thinking about the text, just praying that God would sovereignly come in and do work on hearts here this morning. And for some of you young people, I just want to challenge you. I want you to think about how many weeks you have left. So when you graduate from high school, you can look back on your life so far and realize, wow, you know what? I spent a whole lot of those weeks playing sports or playing video games or doing whatever it was that I do. None of that stuff's bad. But in comparison to the weeks that I spent serving God, serving here at Northwest, serving the world, running to the broken and being a light in my school, that is a weighty and shameful comparison. I want to challenge you guys right now to make every single one of these count because God loves you and God believes in you. And you're not just the church of like, yep, uh-huh, great. Do great things way off then. You're, you're leaders of the church. No, you're leaders of the church right now. You're a part of the church right now. You're God's chosen ones, part of the kingdom right now, amen. I'm just gonna pray for us here before we close in the song. So let's just pray together. And God, our Father, I just thank you that you exemplified for us perfection. As you look down upon us in your love, yeah, and you look down upon us not based on our performance, but based on the righteousness of your son, Jesus Christ. And God, I thank you that you're ever forgiving, that you're ever loving. And yet you are strong and you lead us on and we need to obey. So God, I just ask that we would obey what your spirit is prompting in us right now at this moment. Father, I thank you that you are stronger. And God, that in our weakness and in our brokenness, in our inability, you are the one that is able. And so, Lord, I pray that as we sing this next song, this would be the true declaration from our hearts to you, God. That we want to lift your name higher because you are the Lord of all. And maybe for some of us, we've been trying to be the Lord and we've been a small little Lord and we've been trying to be the master and it's not really working out. So God, bring us back to a place where you are the Lord and the master and have your way in us, God. We love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.